Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. What's up and happy Tuesday. I hope you're having a great one. Thanks for hanging out with us today. We've got more music coming up here on Channel Q. We've got a lot coming up, though, on the show. I can't believe it's primaries again. Well, I mean, certain parts of the states. You know, we're in the primary season. Midterms are marching. No, it is crazy. So we're going to be talking more about the primaries that you should be looking out for, what you need to know in 30 minutes. Uh, plus, we've got those updates. More importantly, I know you want to hear more about this. Updates on the Trump raid. How some people are reacting. It's actually quite wild. It is. And it's wild to see how Republicans are responding. It's wild to see the protest. It's just wild. It's wild. Uh, and later on, uh, how to make the most of your time on Earth according to an end-of-life doula. So we're going to wrap it up with some life wisdom. Which I like doulas. I like the idea of having a doula. I like the idea of what doulas do. We've had we've had tons of like conversation around doulas because we remember I would I remember we talked um, we talked about it specifically during like the pandemic when we were at home and and like people who well were a doula for yeah babies yeah for, uh, that's what a doula is right I, is this a doula I will for... have a yeah this is a doula for end of life <gasps> oh for when you pass they're there when you start your life and end your life wow so I I mean. I know. I definitely want a doula, even if I do a hospital birth. Yeah. I want a doula. I I want affirmations all around me and like <laughs> music and can't. Then maybe you should have a hospital birth. You should have a bathtub birth. Uh, Aren't you? In, I would feel I like think, you were into you water. You know what? Births. My partner is not into uh, at home birth. I feel like if he was, I would have been like, okay, I'm down. But because of complications that happens, it yeah. puts you in a really bad situation. But isn't that what the doula is supposed to do? The prevent? No, that? they're more like. Um, supporters, midwives, spiritual. Isn't know. that a different term? Like, I think they're doulas more like are doulas are more there on like I feel like the spiritual, energetic level to really help you and like the breathing. Mm. It's like your coach. So they're in the corner, like conjuring up really good vibes. Exactly, or just like <laughs> literally holding up your legs, conjuring good, good oh, vibes. Oh wow! Good you know. vibes into the no, universe. Exactly. Good vibes into no, the womb. They're like your coach. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and so. Anyway, we all need a coach for everything in life, including into end life. life. Wow. wow. Yep. We're gonna We're go going... there. <laughs> Why are we saying the same thing? No. <laughs> okay. Um, I was gonna. Oh my god! I had a story, and then I totally forgot it. Here it is. I'm actually dressed really like I have a meeting and stuff today, and I actually just dressed like this just to dress like it, which is a rare oh, thing. Can you stand up for me? I'm wearing heels. 
Are you? I don't even oh, need you to be wearing, wearing heels, wearing... and I chose to wear heels Okay, today. I mean, it's cute. The thing is, you are either that person that dresses nice every day no matter what, or you're not. <laughs> I am the latter. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like when I do dress up just for no reason. It's shocking. For myself. It's groundbreaking. It's like. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, a big deal. It feels like the earth is rotating in a different direction when Shira comes in here and doesn't look like she just woke up from a nap. <laughs> the crazy thing is I had a big meeting ye- uh, yesterday and I decided to dress, you know, more chill beachy for that. And then they were all wearing like suit jackets. And, and today's the suit jacket day for me. So I love I it. I, I think it's great. Oh, I'm asking this because you are the Simon Cowell fashion here in the studio. <laughs> I think so, I'm just know. a Simon Cowell in general. Okay. <laughs> Even he softened up as he got older. I do. I and I think I'm in Where's my your soft, boy bands? I'm in my softened up bands? era right now. I'm in my softened up era. You're doing it earlier because you're like part of the next generation. Yeah, you got to. So uh, let's get into some what's trending this hour let's right do now. It. Uh, supporters of Donald Trump gathered near Mar-a-Lago last night in the wake of the news that the FBI was conducting a search at his Palm Beach estate. Uh, we saw this coming. This is the biggest thing I was worried about. He was using phrasing that was similar to the phrasing used at the Capitol riots, right? He was like, as if that was happening to him. And my biggest worry was they would like come out and try to protect him as if like, you know, I don't know, their leader was going off to prison, which uh, might happen. Dozens of vehicles covered with the Trump 2020 and American flags were parked along the property. Supporters cheered, yelled, waved flags, blasted music, honked their horns. As long as there was no violence, mm-hmm. you know, tell you, he has intense fans. Which they were going to do that. followers. Here's the thing, Cher. They were going to do that once the news was released anyway. Like, Trump doesn't really have to say much at this point for his followers. Disciples. To come. Ew, please. Is it disciples? Please. Disciples. Why are you trying to relate him to Jesus? <laughs> no, it's. We don't need that trauma, Shira. You're not even, you don't even, you, you're Jewish. That's why I was, but there's still, there were disciples. Yeah, I mean, they were, I think they were Jewish. I'm totally mispronouncing. I think that's, I don't see, I didn't disciple. read. Disciple. I didn't I read. I knew I was like, <laughs> bad at this Yes, Jesus stuff. had 12 disciples. Anyway, <laughs> NBC6 spoke to some of the participants. Uh, here's what one man had to say. We live in a police state that, that the FBI and the Democrats are using the justice system for political ends as if we were in a third world country. So these are the same people that are asking for more uh, police involvement. And now the police are involved. And I they're mean, like, what? And they're, the funny thing is, they're, they're like, literally all these Republicans last night were tweeting, like, defund the FBI. And it's just like, well, look how the tables have turned. It's just a mess. Honestly, keep saying it. We all want the same right. cause now at this point. Yeah, we're all aligned. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi appeared on the Today Show to discuss the news of the Trump raid. Here's what she had to say about it. Uh, we believe in the rule of law. And that's what our country is about. And no person is above the law, not even the president of the United States, not even a former president of the United States. Uh, In the interview, she also discussed her recent trip to Taiwan, saying it was absolutely worth it. Meanwhile, uh, Alex Jones is under fire for reportedly sending a nude photo of his wife to Roger Stone. These texts that they had of his just, it keeps getting out of hand. It comes from the attorney representing the parents of Sandy Hook victims uh, after receiving a copy of Jones's text history from Jones's lawyer, as if you remember that amazing moment where Alex Jones realizes this on the stand. So uh, the attorney 
whose name is uh, Mark Bankston, said, I'm a little concerned about it because that intimate photo was sent to Roger Stone, and I don't, I don't know if that was consensual. Jones admitted to sending a photo of his wife, but claims it went directly to her and not Roger Stone, adding that she looks pretty good. Ugh. All right, that was what's trending this hour. <laughs> what's happening in entertainment news? Make that noise again. Ugh. <laughs> That's, I don't, what, what, we don't uh, need to know about... We don't, ever. We never need to know. Do you know that someone um, posted a picture of like Alex Jones next to someone else who's like two years older? They're like... And Alex Jones just looked so much older yeah. in age. They it's like, that, this is what happens when you're evil. Literally, they do that with probably all the problematic people that come out. Because you're you're stressing so much. You're putting on this bad energy. Like, that messes with your, Ages you. your vibes. Yep. And, like, you know, what's his face? Tucker Carlson is really freaking out right now, apparently. Like, reports were saying that he's freaking out about these text messages that he him and <gasps> Alex Jones... Like freaking well, out about what's about to come it. out. You I know. Shouldn't have sent them. Girl, what's done in the dark comes to light. It's time for your tea report. Are we ready? Yep. Okay, so it's the pop culture story is trending right now. And wow, I'm actually quite shocked about this story. The US Open will be Serena Williams' final tournament. She is retiring. Mm. Um, she announced she was, quote, evolving away from tennis. She uh, just, to, I mean, literally, she has graced another cover of Vogue magazine. And she says, I'm here to tell you that I'm evolving away from tennis towards other things that are important to me. A few years ago, I quietly started uh, Serena Ventures, a venture capital firm. Soon after that, I started a family. I want to grow that family. And so she, of course... Um, won her first match in over a year on Monday at the National Open in Toronto, confirmed that she would play at the U.S. Open in Flushing Meadows at the end of the month, and that is going to be her last Grand Slam event. She has won 23 Grand Slam titles, the most in the Open era, and one short of Margaret Court's all-time record. So honestly... She's ending it with the bang. She's had an amazing career. It's I, I think I, I saw this coming. I mean, she has been injured, I think, recently yeah. um, in different competitions. And it's just, yeah, it's time for her to move on. She has a very vibrant and busy life doing other things. Yeah, she says, but please know that I'm more grateful for you than I can ever express in words. You have carried me to so many wins. I'm going to miss that version of me, that girl who played tennis, and I'm going oh. to miss you. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And her uh, her daughter made a little cameo. I saw the picture. They're so cute. It's very cute. You know, I'm a degree separated from her, and I really... In what way? Alexis Ohanian. I know, I've known him for years. Do y'all talk? Uh, he tweets at me. He'll like, actually... No, 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 I actually... He tweets at me? No, So that I, means we are best here's friends. Here's the thing, is... <laughs> Uh, he used to come to my studio. What's trending? I mean, because uh, he's a uh, he was read it. He read it. That's yeah. That's what I I've known him since then. Uh huh. And we've we, yeah, like he's in circles of mine or Twitter Spaces. Like we haven't seen each other in person in a long time. Obviously, he's been busy. Yeah. And you know, he has a superstar wife. Wow. But uh, you know, I've been trying to reconnect with him because of just work related stuff. And so, yeah, we circle each other. But whenever people tweet things, like, he's liked those tweets and he'll, like, reply to them. Mm. But he still needs to answer my DMs. See, that doesn't work. He's just like, I'm. we're only on a reply to tweet relationship I know. Right there's now. a difference. That we can't but get I to do, the DMs. And also, don't you think it's a little weird for him to be, like, no, you don't want No, business. it's I, business. I know, but you don't ever want it to come out where they're like, oh, he's DMing some pretty woman. Oh, yeah, right. I'm sure he has a lot of people he works with that are good looking. Just, but, uh... 
You just he, never know. It, that is true. Hey, maybe you could answer my email then. I've tried everything. There you go. I like but an email. Here, here's the thing. I, I think that, you know, one of my dream interviews, I think Serena Williams would be an amazing interview. Yeah, I know. That would, just to dive into, like, her entire career and, like, her thoughts. I mean, She's that would be a beautiful She's also an entrepreneur. Yeah. She's really cool and very intense. seems personal growth and empowerment. Mm. All right. That's your tea report. We got more coming up next hour. Stick around for that. All right. Well, next up, we've got updates on that FBI raid of Trump's residence. What we've learned next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Former President Donald Trump said that the FBI had raided his Mar-a-Lago club and searched his safe. This all happened, you know, breaking news during the show yesterday. And it was shocking. Uh, yes, and uh, it was actually activity that related to an investigation into the potential mishandling of classified documents. According to two people familiar with the probe, this is, of course, also reported on by The Washington Post. Back with us right now to dive in is Mariana Alfaro, breaking political reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. So uh, first, before we get into some questions here on the latest, I want to play what Lindsey Graham had to say about the matter today. The FBI, when it comes to Trump, has lost their way. This unending desire to destroy Trump and his family is frustrating. President Trump and I got started off kind of tough, but I admired him as president. I don't agree with everything he says or does. I've talked to him twice today, and I told him that, you know, there's legal systems in this country. Avail yourself of it, and time will tell as to what's going on. But to those who feel like you need to... To violently react, the answer is don't. What you need to do is you need to make sure you show up and vote to stop some oh, of this madness. Here it goes. Show up to vote. Uh, and this is from someone who says that this reeks of politics. Um, is it? Is that true, Mariana? Uh, is this all just about bringing Trump and his family down? Wasn't there a clear reason why this happened? Yes. So, um, again, we are pretty, you know, uh, we are being told, and, and it's kind of becoming clear that this is in relation to um, you know, these presidential documents that kind of went missing after Trump uh, left the White House that he shouldn't have taken with him. And that's what uh, we suspect, you know, the, and I think they already set out, you know, that the FBI was looking for that. And again, it, the reaction today has been very surprising just because um, I think the GOP is trying to portray Trump as being above the law or just because he's a former president. You know, they're saying, you know, the FBI, he should be off limits. Like, don't don't do this to former presidents. But the thing is, not even the president should be above the law. You know, um, I think that's what's surprising a lot of people from the reaction today. We're, we're hearing some Republicans say to fund the FBI or like we're going to investigate the DOJ. Again, these, this is showing that um, they definitely appear to believe that some people um, are above the law, which, again, no um, other American citizen would kind of get away with this argument. Yeah. And I really have been wondering, did Attorney General Merrick Garland actually approve this search? Do we know? Um. They haven't confirmed if uh, he approved it, but again, this kind of warrant is not just an easy, like, oh, you know, the FBI is doing nothing today, let's send him over to Mar-a-Lago. That's a very intense process before they could even get to the point where um, the FBI is knocking on, on Trump's door. So it, it's not a, uh, it's definitely a premeditated thing. It was definitely a thing that was on a plan for, for the DOJ to take this action. It really has to be, you know, a, a concerted effort. It's not something random that they did. And again, um, you know, Trump's uh, one of his lawyers just went on to one of the conservative networks and said um, that the, the arguing that the um, warrant that the authorities had to, to go into Mar-a-Lago uh, was thin, quote unquote thin. Um, and she kind of confirmed that authorities were looking for these classified documents. And again, um, 
it, it, it can't be that thin if, if it got to that point. Um, it's not a usual thing for um, the FBI to go looking um, uh, into the house of someone so relevant and so important. And so um, even if we don't know if Merrick um, is the one who, who greenlighted this, it definitely went through a lot of layers before it even got to this point. Yeah, because uh, this has been long said that uh, he had these uh, documents that were top secret mm-hmm. that he brought back with him there mm-hmm. instead of being sent to the National Archives when he left yeah. office. That would be a violation of the Presidential Records Act. Uh, mm-hmm. And so what could happen if they find it? Yes. Yeah, so actually, uh, I just got this breaking news alert. Um, that um, it uh, does appear um, as if the search was uh, focused on whether Trump and his aides withheld items. So as you said, yes, um, the FBI sought this warrant after um, the National Archives officials said that uh, people in Trump's circle did not return uh, what they believed to be government property. Um, So, um, again, this is the kind of thing that would go um, into uh, uh, more further up in the DOJ. It's really hard to foretell consequences, as we've seen with Gen 6, as we've seen with the Georgia um, grand jury, as we've seen with the New York Attorney General's investigation. Um, there's a lot of things uh, up in the air for Trump right now. But um, I do think that this is the most serious escalation we've seen so far. Um, again, uh, if the DOJ does find this, um, it's just not an uh, open closed case, but it is uh, pretty clear that, you know, you should not be mishandling classified materials that um, are protected under the Presidential Records Act. Again, because it's never really happened before. Um, it's kind of hard to tell what would happen. Um, but it, it is one of the multiple investigations he's under. And, um, yeah, it, it's, hard to, it's really hard to tell because yeah. we haven't been here before. Well, uh, thank you so much for some of those updates. That was Mariana Alfaro, breaking political mm-hmm. reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Bye. Okay, so let's move on. Enough Trump news. Primaries are taking place today in Connecticut, Minnesota, Vermont, and Wisconsin. Mm. What races should you be looking out for? That is up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, if you thought primary season was over, think again, because voters in Connecticut, Minnesota, Vermont, and Wisconsin head to the polls on today to select their party's nominees for state and federal offices. Joining us to sp- uh, break down what we should all be looking out for is Daniel Morans, senior reporter at HuffPost. Thanks so much for being here. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. No, seriously, there's so much to unpack here. I mean... We're not all just thinking about the whole raid situation that's happening on the Trump end. We actually want to talk about what's going on in the races to watch out for. What are you looking out for right now? Yeah, there's a couple things. There's actually one race that is technically not a primary, but a special election in southern Minnesota uh, because a Republican member of Congress died. And that's a district that has been turning really Republican, but... If a Democrat there manages to pull it off, it's a big sign that voters are really turning on this issue of abortion rights and Democrats are fired up once again. There are a bunch of other races as well uh, within the Democratic camp between kind of more progressive candidates and and moderate, more moderate candidates who are taking them on. That includes Ilhan Omar, uh, who once again, has a primary challenge. Do you think she is likely to win that spot back? I think she is. I think that Minneapolis is one of the most progressive places in the country. Still true. It's sort of different shades of progressive there. But 
what the challenger there is kind of betting on, and it's not something you hear about too much, but after George Floyd was murdered, there was a big movement toward really radical reimagining of policing in the city, and that's kind of hit a wall. Uh, they tried to abolish the police department and replace it with something new. They put that on the ballot, um, and it was rejected by the voters. The mayor, who's kind of a more mainstream liberal, was reelected. And so I think this is sort of the last gasp of that, of, of those folks who think that they have some wins at their backs trying to moderate on the criminal justice reform stuff. Um, but uh, I think that she remains kind of an iconic figure, somebody who, who a lot of uh, core Democratic voters really relate to. Yeah. And she's certainly confident because she decided not to, not to spend her money on TV. So. Yeah, and I'm, I'm wondering, um, should Democrats kind of feel a sense of calm going into these primaries right now? Like, what have we seen so far? Should they be planning to make sure that they're not just feeling like, oh, this is on our side? Or what, what should everyone be thinking about right now, I guess? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that when you look at the Republican side, there are big fights between people who are backed by Donald Trump and people who are perceived as like betraying him in some minor ways. Now, sometimes these are people who are super conservative, like uh, the Speaker of the State Assembly in Wisconsin, but they just wouldn't fully go along with the script. And I think Democrats are a little conflicted because there are some cases, and there certainly have been some cases, where there's a perception that if the pro-Trump candidate wins their primary, then that person will be easier for the Democrat to beat in November. Um, but then that's kind of a risky bargain because there's just also a sense that those people are way out there in, in kind of crazy land. And yeah. so what if, what if they actually do pull it off? Um, and then, you know, I think that some of the sort of, internal fights within the party i think it's kind of about it's about a, a debate over what's more likely to fire people up in november hmm. do you want somebody who uh maybe knows how to make a deal with republicans or do you want somebody who's really more of a fighter and will continue to fight even if even if the party loses control of Congress. Yeah, uh, yeah, and two other just big ones. We have 30 seconds as we wrap up. Bernie Sanders uh, and Mitch McConnell. Seems like those two are ones that people are looking at, too. Yes, I, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what plays out. But thank you so much, Daniel Morans, a senior reporter at HuffPost. Thanks for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, next up, could having a Twitter up and posting a lot increase your salary? Well, what one study has to... To, uh, show about that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, it seems like if you're active on Twitter, it might mean that you get a job offer with a higher salary. And this is according to a new study. Makes sense, makes sense, makes sense. Yeah, I'll so, tell you why uh, for me. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, I want to know why and I'll tell you. Well, once, what, the, once you tell. Well, study yeah. co-author Andrew Winston uh, says that executives who promoted their expertise and qualifications on Twitter were 32% more likely to attract higher paying job offers after interviews. Mm. 32%. That's a, that's big a pretty one. big number, yeah. right? So why do you think? Well, I would simply just think because I think anyone who's on Twitter, depending on what side of Twitter you're on, I think it's a it's a good way of understanding like certain conversations that a lot of people like it's like a really Twitter's like one big survey. 
Yeah. If you think about it. And I think you can really find out and you can be ahead of the curve. You can see trends. You can you can apply those type of things to um, your knowledge to I mean, you can't trust everything, but I do think there is a side of um, of Twitter where you can follow experts. You can follow journalists. You can have a, a resource of information coming in simply by what's on your Twitter feed. And I think that yeah. can help you become a better candidate for a job and a better person in whatever field you're talking about and doing. And yeah. And, and they said it also works for lower level workers. So it's not just entertainment. This is now moving beyond the entertainment world. I think, one, it does show kind of like the person you are, what your likes and dislikes are, Mm -hmm. which is interesting as an employer. Um, And then also, if it's relating, you're talking about the things that you're working on. That's why I created another Twitter for my likes. Yeah. Oh, for your likes. Okay. Yeah, we are. We we know that. I don't even have time to deal with my own Twitter, let alone another one. You you get what you get. Are you saying everything you tweet is from a bot? Are pre-scripted. You know, people actually no. do that. Oh, no. Uh, people, like, pre-plan. Like, oh, I, you, you, I know, you would schedule stuff. But that is so inauthentic. I just scheduled so something weird. for tomorrow, a video, because it's Women Crush Wednesday, and it's a woman one that I want to do. But I'm doing Ew, it now while I have time. That is so inauthentic. No, because that's, like, what I want to post tomorrow, but I might be busy at the time I need to post Well, it. I guess what you're doing is fine. But, like, I know I'm some I'm not going to be like, this is how I feel right now, scheduled well, for 5 I, I, p.m. No, seriously, tomorrow. I know some people who do that, where they, like... They they have like stored tweets of just like blanket statement or little like catchy things that they can yeah, do to get garner attention. It's smart. That's not smart. It's smart to, that you know, just if it's feels part of your brand, weird. then schedule it out. Work smarter, not harder. I don't know. That feels a little fake to me. Okay. Well, you know, I think this just shows where social media is going. It's not just being an influencer, but what you even if you have a small following, it's not even about a following. Well, yeah, on Twitter, the really cool thing is you can have a tweet go viral and like your impressions and your reach can be massive like uh, off of like several tweets you don't have to have a big following on Twitter just to like get the reach that you need it just depends on how it falls and who's retweeting it and and connecting with it and I think that this shows though what I was going to say is like that could happen you could get the viral effects or you you could have followers but I actually do think this isn't even about having followers they're saying that if you say the right uh, things in the right way kind of your shameless self-promotion is not narcissistic but it's like perfected it could actually help you get a job it's so funny how we're now at this point when like years ago they were you know saying that you got to be careful what you put on social media because we're if you have we find what's on your social media you can be fired or not hired and now it's like you can be hired or not hired but yes exactly so times of a change better catch up it's crazy the the data is here proving it it's cray cray well next up more of what's trending and what Megan the Stallion's boyfriend has to say to The Rock coming up in the T-Report let's go there with Shira and Ryan channel Q call from mom answer it call silenced Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game that's why they make ordering from your couch easy Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yes, we are back. More music coming up right here on Channel Q. And speaking of music, we've got our flyaway giveaway. We sure do. Channel Q wants to fly you and a friend to Orlando to see Ben Platt at his biggest North American tour to date. And it'll win at WeAreChannelQ.com. And for your chance to win, round-trip airfare for two. It's a two-night hotel stay, $200 gift card, and two VIP tickets to see Ben Platt in Orlando October 6th. Just head over to WeAreChannelQ.com and enter for your chance to win. All right. By the way, I want to give a shout out to a listener who was listening to us at the last hour. At the top hour, we were talking about natural Doulas. Doulas. And Jennifer told me, because I was talking about how I don't know if I would do a water birth because I'm probably going to do it in the hospital. And she goes, she DM'd me. Went out of her way at Shira Lazar on Twitter. Yeah. Some hospitals do offer water births. Mine did. So oh. thank you, Jennifer, for that recommendation. Wow. Did you ask Jennifer if you could read that? I mean, I didn't say her full name. Yeah, but did so, you? So, thank you. <laughs> Never DM you so ever So, if you again. ever want to DM me and be on the air, <laughs> let me know. If you DM me, that is consent. You are literally, as I say, you are literally just at talking about the consent of a baby in a womb, and then you can't even give this one Well, when consent. I was talking about um, pregnancy <laughs> porn. This is, we were talking about pregnancy porn in the break. Okay, anyway. you don't have to. Lots coming up on the show today. <laughs> this is what happens. You know, uh, Brittany Griner's case has brought up a lot of conversation about the treatment of queer black uh, people and women. And uh, so we're going to be talking more about that this hour. And how could having COVID or getting your vaccine impact your period? In 30 minutes. All right. All good topics, huh? All very good topics. And Do you have any, what, like, uh, curiosity since you've had COVID? Has it impacted? 
I actually, did I mention this to you? Maybe someone else. I don't know. I forget how many times I talk about my period to you. Right? Yeah, it's true. But I, I did actually talk about this with someone, so I'll give you my take. In Love a that. Good tease. Yes. It's really good tease. <laughs> uh, let's get into some what's trending this hour. There was some like pun there, but I didn't feel like going You know, I don't there. even want you to go there. I yeah. Don't... President Biden signed into law a bipartisan legislation to provide billions of dollars in incentives to the domestic semiconductor industry and fund scientific research that uh, proponents are saying will boost the U.S. competitiveness and solve supply chain challenges. So here is Biden at the bill signing event. The CHIPS and Science Act is going to inspire a whole new generation of Americans to answer that question. What next? Right now, as Bill can tell you, NASA has a mission going back to the moon, then to Mars, the sun, and beyond, capturing images of distant galaxies. We could only once dream existed, and we could never think we could see. The Chips and Science Act captures that magic (coughs) here on Earth. It also builds on the progress we've made to rebuild America's with the historic infrastructure law that I signed last year. All right, Chips and, um, what is it, Chips and what? I already forgot it. Dip? Chip, no, it was, no, it was. Oh my God! You know, Chip. Wait. All right, we have producer Shelby here because old people can't remember. Who is the old he, person? President Biden no, just said it. The Chips and Science Act. Thank you. It's not Chips and Dip. What? Chips and Science. I didn't hear the Chips and Science. My bad. I was focused on the fact that he coughed in the mic like that. Yeah. Next up, in an interview with CNN, Senator Lindsey Graham says he thinks same-sex marriage and abortion should be left to the states, claiming that politicians are talking about the wrong issues because, you know, reproductive rights aren't the issues that we should care about. Here's what he had to say. Are you saying that the 2015 Supreme Court decision that made same-sex marriage the law of the land nationally should be overturned? No, I am saying that I don't think it's going to be overturned. Nor should it be? Well, you know, that'd be up to the court. The reasoning, I think, could be attacked, but the point I'm trying to make is I've been consistent. I think states should decide the issue of marriage and states should decide the issue of abortion. How wide should that go? How many more issues should that go to? For example, uh, Loving versus Virginia, that allowed interracial marriage, no. that, no, that shouldn't be touched. No, so here's the point. We're talking about things that are not happening because you don't want to talk about inflation. You don't want to talk about crime. This is all politics, my friends. Shut. Oh, my God. No, this is actually basic human rights. And America needs to know, people, citizens of America, we need to know if our rights are going to be taken from us. That's pretty, uh, actually a basic thing before anything. Mm-hmm. And. <laughs> We should. We need a sound effect. The Which do one? do that sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, the Florida Republican uh, Marco Rubio wanted the Senate to vote on an amendment containing a de- definition for the term pregnancy that would stop people who aren't biological females from accessing federal maternal and infant-related program resources. But thankfully, Rubio's amendment failed to make it past the Senate floor after it received an even 50-50 vote just got there well that was what's trending this hour what's happening in entertainment news oh my god let's talk cardi b well no not cardi b well you know cardi b's like like i feel like they're like best friends megan the stallion actually so the rock uh, kind of got is, is some hot water with um cardi 
But I want to, why do I want to keep saying Cardi B? She's on your mind. <laughs> because in this clip, we're about to hear um, WAP, and it's a song that I have been constantly listening to for the past few days. But Megan Thee Stallion, she's the center of the story. The Rock is in hot water because Megan Thee Stallion's boyfriend oh. is upset after, basically, The Rock said that he would choose to be, like, her pet. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture I'm stories so are trending right now. But I'm going with it. Yes, just go with it. Because here's the thing. You know, The Rock is on this press tour with Kevin Hart for their new movie, the Special Pets movie. It's, like, basically a DC film where it's, like, superheroes in the DC world have pets and they, like, voice these pets, right? Cute. Cute right? Well, The Rock was asked um, this moment. Here it is. Here it is. What celebrity would you want to be a pet to? Megan Thee Stallion. Oh, that's a good one. Why Megan Thee Stallion? Well, we don't have to talk about that. Okay? Why? Well, because of course, like if he's if he's a, her pet, like a dog around the house, you probably get to see everything. You know. I'm... Do you think The Rock has a a? Uh, Who doesn't have a crush on Megan Thee Stallion? Her like her body is insane. Her vibes are so great. Well, her boyfriend did not like that, and he was very upset. Um, Rock's married, happily married. Yeah, and he basically he said, of all the things to be worried about, y'all think I'm mad at the Rock. He went on to say he deleted an Instagram comment which he told Johnson to teach your wife to use seasoning, admitting it was quote maybe in poor taste. Um, which it kind of was. He basically said this, the initial comment read, all of our dogs named after numbers. Just teach your wife to use seasoning. You'll be all right. Moana is the blank, though. Yeah, I mean, it's not that serious. He could have just laughed it off. And plus, it's like, I guess if The Rock is lusting after your girlfriend, you're probably hey, worried. it's good press. Yeah, but, you know, making the sound ain't going nowhere. She's like addicted to party. Anyway, that's your tea report. We got more coming up next hour. Okay, well, ne- uh, next up, Brittany Griner is one of the most famous and visible black lesbians in the world. What her case shows about the disparities that black LGBTQ people are subject to after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. You know, Brittany Griner's uh, trial has been heavy on all our minds, but as one of the most famous invisible black lesbians, her verdict means so much more to queer black women and non-binary people. Join, uh, joining us to discuss this further is Orion Rumler, a reporter at The 19th. Thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you, Shira. Yeah, so what's interesting here, when I when I was reading your story, which is so beautiful, um, I was wondering, when writing an intersectional story like this, how did you go about finding the people who you wanted to talk to about their experience with this uh, trial and verdict? So, Victoria Kirby York in the story, I, and I think as a person, she's been following this really closely. She does she and they pronouns. Um, they've been... Uh, on social media talking a lot about this, like what this means to her as a black non-binary femme. So Victoria is like the first person I saw talking about this because she's been doing a lot about this. And so just seeing that perspective, I also wanted to reach out to Kara Johnson and other really prominent black LGBTQ queer women. Um, And also um, I spoke with uh, someone who runs Depressed While Black, uh, which is a Amadi runs Depressed While Black, and that's a service that connects uh, black therapists to patients. Um, uh, so basically, I just uh, wanted to speak with uh, LGBTQ black folks who I'd spoken with previously um, about this issue. And so with that, with speaking with all these amazing voices um, in, in this community, I guess, what did you learn as you were reporting about this? 
So I learned that uh, Brittany Griner's situation, it's, it's happening in Russia, but it's not foreign to what black queer people experience in this country. And watching it was uh, triggering and devastating to the people I spoke with, the black queer women and non-binary people I spoke with, seeing Griner in a cage in this testimony, um, just having the camera on her and like seeing this experience uh, was really difficult for people. Like they see themselves in her, like they see their families because it's one of the situations where it's not like this is happening in Russia and it's different, obviously, but the situation of Griner being stopped in the first place and uh, being detained while wearing a black lives for peace hoodie, it drove home a lot of feelings of how black people are over policed here for drug charges. Um, and it, it just, really hits close to home. Yeah, I think you're so right. I think um, on so many levels, this is something that is just another reminder of where I think, you know, black folks specifically and people of color are kind of treated regardless of where they're going, not just here in this country. So I, I, I think we have to be even more clear about how this case really highlights those disparities that black women are often subjected to. Exactly. And I think uh, pay equity disparity in women's sports also came up as yeah. one of those deeper, uh, like one of the deeper uh, situations behind this. It, like the fact that Griner was overseas to supplement her income playing in Russia. Uh, Griner's agent uh, wrote an op-ed like in April that more than half of WNB players have had to do that is something mm-hmm. else uh, to consider. So I guess... Uh- what are the takeaways? We we know all this and it's tragic and yet we still witness it. Is there anything, I mean, how are we going to change the situation? Is it possible in our lifetimes? The Griner situation or more of these? Yeah, I like, say, uh, queer, queer black women and non-binary binary people uh, feeling, feeling this way. Definitely. So I think... Um, for Griner specifically, the hope is that a prisoner exchange will take place. But to, to speak more broadly to what black queer women and non-binary people face in this country, I think, like, from my perspective, what I can do is, like, elevate people who are trying to talk about this. Because I, I understand in covering Griner, a lot of the broader analysis has been about our relationship with Russia, which is really important. Um, but from my perspective, what I can do as a reporter is just like try and publish what black LGBTQ people are saying. And hopefully that can spark change or like at least get people considering, um, that all of this is still like a lot of it just hasn't gone away. Yeah. And we, one, I always appreciate the 19th and the work that you are all constantly doing, um, when it comes to amplifying so many marginalized folks, especially because it's always for us, by us, you know? Mm. And so I think that's always so important. So Orion Rumler, thank you so much for being here. Reporter at the 19th, please check out um, his story. It's so, and so important. You can dive deeper into this nuanced conversation. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Cher. All right. Well, next up, have you noticed a heavier period or shorter menstrual cycle after having COVID? I'll share my own personal story. And there's also a reason for that coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Uh, So you might have heard this, how COVID-19, some people have been talking about how it impacted their period. Well, it then 
inspired a study, a large study of about 16,000 people, and that discovered how COVID-19 actually impacted menstruation. We have one of the doctors behind this joining us right now, Dr. Leslie Farland, an assistant professor of epidemiology, which I I always mess up this word, epidemiology. (laughs) (laughs) At the University of Arizona. You know, when COVID started, I had so much trouble with this word, and I haven't used it in a long time, so there you go. Epidemiology. Epidemiology. There it flowed somehow. Okay, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. So, I guess, did you uh, start the study because you heard it was more from, like, people sharing their stories or from your own experience? Like, what ended up happening that led you to actually do this? Sure. So, I had been involved in a study of um, thinking about kind of the long-term symptoms of COVID that started in May of 2020. So we were one of the first groups to really start thinking about past the acute stage of infection. So past when you're, you know, experiencing that really intense illness, kind of what are the long-term health effects? And my background is in gynecologic health. Um, and so being part of this research team, I was really interested in the impacts on fertility, on the menstrual cycle, and on things like that. So we had added these questions pretty early on. Um, and then kind of as time went on and we learned more about kind of the long-term health effects of COVID, um, I realized that, that we should start analyzing this data. Yeah. I mean, it's so important because it feels like we're still learning so much about COVID-19, even with how many, you know, at this point with us being deep in it, what were some of the kind of most commonly reported things from participants that linked everyone? Yeah. So, you know, in our study, um, so we just looked at menstrual cycle changes and we kind of thought about menstrual cycle changes within the umbrella of kind of those long-term COVID symptoms. But among the menstrual cycle changes, we saw um, that people who experienced changes, which was about 16% of of those who had been infected, um, we saw that about 60% of individuals reported irregular menstruation, meaning that they um, reported either longer cycles or shorter cycles than they would usually have. Um, and around 45% reported um, changes in their premenstrual sim- uh, symptoms. And then around 35% reported infrequent menstruation. So a lot of um, symptom, menstrual symptoms around kind of the timing of menstruation and some of the PMS symptoms that, that women experience before menstruation. Is this directly connected to COVID or could this just have been, and this is mentioned, just the stress, Right. Could yeah, that so that's enough? a great question. Yeah, so so we don't necessarily know from this study. Um, we do know that individuals in our population that, that we studied um, who experienced changes in their menstrual symptoms had higher stress levels. Um, it wasn't statistically significant, um, but it was something that, that we did see. What I am worried about is I think oftentimes when we discuss menstruation, we often kind of um, poo-poo it and say, oh, well, it's because women are stressed. And so I want to mm-hmm. make sure that, that we don't do that um, and, and kind of take this seriously. But I definitely think that stress could have potentially influenced this finding. You know, we've all been very stressed for the past few years with, with COVID-19 and, you know, various effects on our lives. And so yeah. it definitely could play a role, but it, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only 
um, factor driving this association. Yeah, and I always wonder when it comes to studies like this, how important is kind of like all different types of inclusion, especially, you know, normally with these conversations, they can be very cisgender. And I wonder, what do you think about when it comes to just, I mean, is it different for all people with vaginas when it comes to trans folks, especially how they... With uter- with their inability to yeah, have with, a period. Yeah, with the ability to have a period. So I, I wonder how important is that when it comes to this type of level of research in informing us? Yeah, that's... That's a fantastic question, and it's something that I struggle with a lot as an epidemiologist because um, we want to, you know, draw causal conclusions and, and make um, make those kind of causal inferences, but we also want to be as inclusive as possible. So for this study, um, we include included all menstruating individuals, so whether they identified as um, women or cisgender or if they identified as non-binary and were identifying as menstruating. But I will say for for research as a whole in this field, it often kind of just de facto um, is restricted to kind of cisgender women. And I think part of that is because people don't want to kind of add, you know, more complexities, which is really a problem in this research. You know, we need we need to be more inclusive um, and we need to, to study, you know, multiple groups of people so that we can actually draw meaningful conclusions across populations. Yeah, because I think the... But the, it's a huge limitation. Yeah, the biggest danger is just to share, obviously, our experiences, but then make that into, like, that is actual data, right? Because it's not necessarily... Exactly. And it becomes this overarching narrative. Well, thank you so much for joining us. That's Dr. Leslie Farlin, Assistant Professor of Epidemiology at the University of Arizona. Thanks again. Great. Thanks so much. All right. Well, this 17-year-old is looking to help after her newly divorced mother is trying to act like a teen again? Oh, no. Is that wrong of her? Well, we're going to discuss it coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. All right. We're getting to uh, the advice column archives. We like to go to Slate.com. They always have the most ridiculous questions, right? (laughs) This one comes from a 17-year-old who says they'll be out of the house for college next year. Her parents got divorced. And uh, it seems like their mom is trying to be this person now. She says she keeps borrowing my clothes and accessories without asking. So is that borrowing? We're around the same size, but she is 45. It makes me uncomfortable. She says that she feels young. She's basically going through like a midlife crisis, post-divorce type situation. Um, She also picks her up from school. She goes, it's especially bad then. How do I get her to stop? What does this person do? And have you ever been in this situation? Has your mom tried to act like a cool mom? <laughs> no, I don't have that type of mom. My mom is a mom all the way through, and I love that for her. Um, but, you know, she she also looks very young, and so oftentimes when we go out to dinner, people think she's my sister, and that She happens. does. I saw pictures of her and um, you. Yeah, and so that's like, that's yeah. a thing. But, like, no, my mom is a mom. Um, and at most, she's like, uh, looks like an older sister, and that's it. I will say, though... Age is nothing but a number. So if, like, her mama has been taking care of her, paying the bills, this seems like one of those, like, teen movies where they're upset that the mama is, like, you know, a cool mom. Well, it's also annoying that you're when you're taking your kid's stuff, 
Like, True. get your own thing. But what, I mean, don't you feel like that parents feel that way as well when it comes to... No, they're supposed to take care of you. You're no, but parents... Them, but you know, them. like, if you go in your mama's closet and yeah, you go try on your mama's yeah, stuff, that's kind of like you're not supposed to do that. That's part, you're a child and you're the younger person. They're supposed She's to take 17. care of you. She's 17. If they're the same size and, you know, they can wear And you could say stuff. sometimes, like, if a kid was wearing their parents' clothes and it was too, quote-unquote, mature for them, that could be said on the it's like the tick. It's like those TikTok videos where you see, like, people dress up their grandpa as our grandmas as like super cool like in like very stylish fashions I feel like it's the same thing like it doesn't why does it matter so much about her being 45 especially when we find it to be cute when they're like 87 they're like oh look at them looking like the cool there's kids that mid, there's that like mid beast. that is like the gray area that is so rude it's true when you're very young and very old you get to pretty much do anything <laughs> <laughs> that's basically the rule right uh, producer Shelby what do you think well, I'd like to note in this piece that she says, I don't mean to be body shaming her. If she wants to wear different clothes, that's fine. But these are my clothes. Exactly. Who bought so, those clothes? So I think, <laughs> I mean, when I was 17, I was buying my own clothes. And me and my mom, my mom is a cool mom. She's young. She's cool. We would share each other's clothes. I would go in and steal necklaces and but you stuff. you had an agreement and, almost, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It would be... Like, I would steal her tank tops. It was more so I could fit into her stuff, but she couldn't fit into mine, so it was a little uh, unfair. Yeah. But we were on the same page. This is different to where it seems like they are not on the same page. And I think if the mom really wants to be dressing cute and hip, they should go shopping together, and her daughter should help her pick out clothes. Yeah. That's a good option. Uh, but also, stealing. if your mama died tomorrow, are you really going to be worried about this? No, is this person's a teen. It's hard when they're a teenager to She's think 17. that way. She needs to grow up. Listen, I think I that, it it's, also her, it's also her area, like boundaries with your personal I agree, space. I agree with that as well. I right? Agree because that. that's like, there, there's some issues there. Say, so, hey, let your mom wear what she wants to wear. Want you uh, use this as an opportunity to get to know each other on another level and communicate your needs. You're obviously not communicating that. your needs. Also, little things like this really don't matter. It doesn't. But it does. It's someone's life. So, Girl, you're 17. You're not caring about the same things at 17 that you will be caring about. I'm like sure you got to know a lot of things. From well, yeah, because my mom was a, a heavy Christian from the oh. deep south. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Yes, we hope you're enjoying this great music here on Channel Q. More to come, but right now we're getting into some more show. How to make the most of your time on Earth, no matter how much you have left. <laughs> I swear this time. is an optimistic Not perspective. Uh, that's in 15 minutes. I mean, there's viruses popping up everywhere. Then Malcolm Gladwell seems to think working from home is not okay unless he's the one doing it. We're getting into that later, too. 
Uh, this conversation definitely sparked a little controversy online. But let's get into some what's trending this hour right now. Governor Greg Abbott's ongoing practice of busing migrants detained near Texas's southern border to cities in other states has touched a new nerve with New York City Mayor Eric Adams, who told reporters that asylum seekers have arrived against their will in his city after being misled by officials in Texas. So that's really interesting that that's happening there right now. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, what he does about it or if anything will change. Now, uh, Adams told Actually Politico that more than 4,000 asylum seekers have attempted to seek refuge at the city's homeless shelter since May, adding that some of the families are on the bus that wanted to go to other locations and they were not allowed to do so. Really horrible. Moving on to Texas, a McAllen church is facing backlash for illegally performing Hamilton with anti-LGBTQ messaging and biblical this themes. This is the most funny. Like, this is so funny. Yeah, the Dora Christian Fellowship Ministries of McAllen changed Lin-Manuel Miranda's rendition of the musical to incorporate a sermon that compared being gay with having an addiction. Here's how the church closed out the production. You know, right now, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know, uh, you know, you came to see the, the, the play, amen, but you have a destiny with God tonight. You have a destined time with God right now. He is knocking right now some of you at the, at the, heart, at the doors of your heart right now. He wants to help you tonight. He knows exactly what you've gone through. You've gone through maybe broken marriages. Maybe you struggle with alcohol, with drugs, homosexuality. Maybe you, you struggle with other things in life. I mean, your finances, whatever, relationships. That's Enza's monologue before tonight. ends us. The <laughs> Hamilton team in New York told the Washington Post that it did not give license or permission to the Dormick Allen Church in McAllen to stage the performance and that it was an illegal reproduction. Well, you know, a lot of times, and I don't know if you all are familiar with this, but like, my church, we used to put on plays all the time. Yeah. You know? And do you like, do recreations of it? It's like with its um, own it renditions? Like, it wasn't recreate. To be honest, I don't really remember. It wasn't recreations, but like, putting on plays in church is a thing. Like, that happens, and like, if someone can do it and add in these moments, yeah, you can like What kind it. of musicals would you perform, though, or plays? It would be ones that were like obviously... Christian plays. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so but like, this one is just funny Jesus that they took... Yeah. from the Bible, rising from, you know, the grave in three Got days. It. Things All like right. that, you know? Tony Award-winning place. You know, yeah. you know, I play, I played, a, you know, a Mother of Mary. Oh, okay. No, that's not true. I was just kind of adding. To All that. right. Well, next up, <laughs> finally, last story in our headlines right now. Top of hour. Republican Colorado Representative Lauren Boebert has suggested that children in public schools should be forced to undergo biblical citizenship training. Boebert appeared to be referring to a course run by former uh, Texas State Legislator Rick Green. Green's Patriot Academy runs a course titled Biblical Citizenship in Modern America, which claims they can teach people the ins and outs of the U.S. Constitution while basing good citizenship entirely on the Bible. Uh, maybe we need to have some sort of legislation that requires Constitution Alive and biblical citizenship training in our schools. Uh, and, and that's how we get things turned around. Uh, but there, there has to be real leadership from the Republicans, especially now. Uh, maybe we need to have... Yeah, I mean, what, what if you have someone that doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't want to study the Bible? That's not their religion. What do you do about that? I guess we don't have the answer, according to Lauren Boebert. She wants everyone to study the Bible. Uh, well, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news? Yeah, before we get into the T-Report, here is our Channel Q giveaway to win yourself some Ben Platt tickets. Channel Q is flying you off to see Ben Platt. I can't imagine my life without you. 
It's his biggest North American tour to date with special guest Ali and AJ. Whoa, whoa. We'll fly you to Orlando, put you up in a fabulous hotel, get you ground transportation, and VIP tickets to Ben Black. To win, all you gotta do is go to wearechannelq.com. Thanks to AEG. All right, make sure we are ChannelQ.com to win your tickets. But let's get into the T-Report because I'm wondering why the hell they have not locked Ezra Miller's ass up. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Well, the Flash actor Ezra Miller is accused of stealing alcohol in May from a Vermont home while the owners were away, according to state law enforcement. Vermont State Police found um, probable cause to charge the actor with felony burglary into an unoccupied dwelling in the town of Stamford. What is happening? How is he, like, hopping from town to town, just creating a muck? Well, them, sorry. Misgendered them by accident. Um, now, after being alerted to possible bur- burglary on May 1st, police found that several bottles of alcohol had been taken away from the residence. Surveillance footage and statements uh, gave p- police probable cause to charge Miller, according to the release, but he gave no details. Now, yeah, the actor had literally had, was issued a citation on Sunday, and Miller was ordered to appear in a Vermont Supreme Court on September 26th, which is coming up. Who knows if that's actually going to happen? There's so many things going on. I'm really surprised. Like, and Warner of all people are saying that the the Flash film that they're in yeah. is still happening. Still happening. He, but they canceled he, Batgirl. But this yeah, this, this person gets to do whatever they want to do. They're they didn't pronounce, by the sorry. way. No, I know. It's good. Yeah, I did yeah. the same thing. Um, but it's just wild to to see and to watch this play out. It's really sad. Isn't there a certain amount of charges that could happen? It's like you get at what point? How many charges can you get? Like, We're in America, sweetie. Um, that's your T report. <laughs> where you get like an official ping, like you cannot be, you know what I mean, like a functioning adult. Like you need to get taken care of or surveillance. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, well, SOS. That's well, your T report. We got more coming up next hour. Next up, how to make the most of your time on Earth, no matter what your age. We are talking about end of life doulas after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. How would you plan the end of your life? Well, the mission of end of life doulas are actually the opposite uh, at the end of the spectrum from birth doulas. And they help you do that. And here to share more is someone who is a trained doula and who wrote about her experiences with this in Vox.com. We thought it was such an interesting article that we wanted to talk about it today. Uh, Rachel Friedman, writer, author and editor. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. If we're being honest, so much is happening in the world. I'm just thinking the world's about to end, so I need you. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the pandemic is really what pushed me to become an end-of-life doula, so I can can relate to that. Yeah, I was going to ask you what encouraged you to jump into this journey. So you're saying COVID did it. Yeah, I had had a really positive experience with a birth doula. Mm. Um, So I had been fascinated by that role um, since then. And I had discovered that there was, this, as you, as you put it, this kind of opposing role, not opposing, but opposite ends of the life spectrum role. And it became just something I couldn't shake this idea that I wanted to help people in this way. And this 
sort of moving back to this community role. We've always had this kind of role in communities, but death like birth has become very hospitalized, very medicalized. And so there was a movement away and then sort of now I think a movement back toward some of these more communal roles and helping people with these life cycle moments. Yeah, and I can't help, you know, before I kind of moved to Los Angeles and got inducted to a completely different like like lifestyle, I feel like being from the South, if I hear the word doula, I'm like, oh, I'm thinking hippy dippy. Like, what is this? You know? <laughs> right. And so I think I, I was very shocked to know that there's actually a lot of um, non-clinical care and actually help with like planning that you all do. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the logistics of like the work you do? Yeah, and it's funny that you have that impression. I mean, there, there are all sorts of people who get into this kind of work, but a lot of the people who get into it actually are um, trained healthcare professionals. I had a lot of nurses in my doula training, for instance. Um, but yeah, it is, it's non-clinical care, so emotional, logistical, and physical support um, for the person who's dying and, and anyone involved in the care of that person who's dying. So often a doula could work in tandem with um, you know, people from hospice or, or nurses, um, the kind of work we do can vary helping people uh, with end of life plans. So having the kind of death that honors their life, you know, what kind of vigil they want. Do they want to leave behind any sort of legacy project, you know, a book of recipes um, or, or letters to people um, and eulogy and obituary writing and just helping people make sense of what resources are available to them. So knowing in your region what kind of end-of-life support there are for people, you know, your resource referral for other kinds of care services that people might need. Um, you help with post-death grief processing in the early stages of, of grief. And um, yeah, so those are some is, of the roles. Yeah, this is a, gr- a growing industry, actually. And it as is. you can imagine, it's never uh, changes. Like, it's always there. The economy doesn't change. You know, even the economy changes. <laughs> this type of, type of stuff is well, the same. It's like working on a It increases. So I, I want to know, because in the article, this is, you know, something that we could connect with because we're all here. Uh, you never know. But what can we learn from, you said, three components of end-of-life doula training that we could all take into account in our lives right now? Yeah, in the article, I wrote about three takeaways for me from doula training that had just really deep impact. And I just have been feeling like other people could benefit from these um, in life. You know, healthy people, uh, anyone could benefit from these. And, and one of the the things I wrote about is an exercise, which is, uh, sounds quite harrowing and you only want to do it when you have the emotional space to sort of feel feelings of grief and loss, because it's an exercise that walks you through kind of imagining you have three months left to live. Um, and you write down important things to you, your five most prized possessions, five favorite activities, your top five values, the five people you love the most. And then ideally someone reads you this exercise and walks you through it and sort of pause at different moments um, during this guided visualization and and open and close your eyes and and cross things off the list. And it's very, very powerful. I gave an abbreviated version of it in the article, but it's an incredibly powerful experience for clarifying your priorities. Yeah. And do you think with the, your journey in this profession, do you think you've seen clients or just folks be able to kind of understand grief and talk about death in um, ways that you probably hadn't seen in the past? 
Yeah, I'm very new to this work, but I'm a writer. So of course, I'm writing my way through it. So that's why a lot of this is focused on the training. And in, you know, those classes, and as I've gained more experience, I've been fascinated by the different ways we, we talk about death and, and the different ways people are really um, afraid to talk about death openly, too. You know, it's, it's scary for a lot of people to think about leaving this world. Definitely. And, and that's why you do explain just as we wrap up the importance of practicing deep, active listening and also, you know, maybe looking at the projects that you could do here and now, right? Yeah, absolutely. The legacy projects is not something we have to wait to do um, until we're dying. So anything that you think about that might be, you know, worthwhile for you to leave behind to people you love to express who you are as a person is something you can work on here and now. And I give the example in the article of, you know, a musician recording a few minutes of practice each week um, and sort of putting it in a digital file and leaving it for your kids or your loved ones, whoever. And that's a nice idea too. Okay, well, that was Rachel Friedman, writer, author, editor, and trained doula. Check out her article about this in Vox.com. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's great. Okay, so let's change the subject here because Malcolm Gladwell is getting slammed online for some comments on working from home, claiming it's, quote, hurting society. Girl, we're going to talk more about what this nerd has to say up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, so we're all familiar with Malcolm Gladwell. If you're not, he's a journalist. He's an author. Um, And uh, he was recently on a podcast um, where I guess he was on this podcast called Diary of a CEO, which, of course, I guess is fitting for him. Um, He was basically asked about his thoughts on working from home. Remote work. Here is what he had to say. It's very hard to feel necessary when you're physically disconnected. And, um, you know, as, as we face the battle that all organizations are facing now and getting people back into the office, that this... People, it's really hard to explain this core psychological truth, which is we want you to have a feeling of belonging and to feel necessary. We, and we want to, you to join our team. And if you're not here, it's really hard to do that. It's not in your best interest to work at home. I know it's a hassle to come <laughs> to the office. But like, you know, if you work, if you're just sitting in your pajamas in your bedroom, is that the work life you want to live? Right? Don't you want to feel part of something? And I, I think the funny, the ironic thing is, this comes from someone who I think pretty much probably sits works, in his pajamas works and works by himself. Maybe, listen, maybe he puts on a nice pair of slacks. Yeah, but like I, and he probably has a nice big house to do it in. I can't anyway. help but not think a lot of this conversation around remote work and hating it are like having some sort of like negative um, thought process around it isn't rooted in like capitalism. And I also think like work is just basically getting a large group of people together, paying them to do the work and then possibly like creating like relationships. I think as we've evolved and as the pandemic has like hit our society, we've all had to adapt to new things, which means also guess what? We can adapt to making other relationships through a digital way. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be here at the office, you know, to be able to make those relationships. And so for me, I just feel like, this idea is so dated, especially for someone who is not going to an office every single day. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that as someone who does uh, 
discuss and write about trends and marketing and how to be better uh, you know, at building businesses for consumers or just like why businesses succeed. I think, you know, his opinion is something to look at. It's you know, that's why he was asked this, and this is why it created so much controversy. I mean, he's known for books like Blink and Tipping Point. They're New York Times bestselling books. Uh, I think that's why, you know, him saying it got people talking because you're like, okay, you're someone that we we trust what you say. We look at it seriously, and yet, hey, I don't think this is something I want to take seriously. But I don't think you're looking at all the angles of it. I think that, and, and we talk about this off the air, there's some sort of serendipity that happens when you're in person in places, wherever you are. I mean, I find this, and I talked about it with someone, when, um, when I go to a conference, for instance, I'll randomly sit next to someone really cool. That's different. Right? But that happens in the workplace too, in the office, and or it should at least in like offices that do cultivate that. I will say if, that has probably changed because most offices or are adapting more of a like three day work. No, where I'm saying in the past. No, I'm saying here. in the past, and the, the benefits. So there's pros and cons to it all. I think that in the best case scenario, you're somewhere where you're stimulated. You're meeting people you're like around people that are really awesome and interesting not to, that you want to be friends with necessarily but you're you know if you want to uh you know uh, move to a new department or possibly have a new opportunity in your workplace you're having those encounters where that's more possible than possibly you just emailing someone and trying to set up that call right you have those serendipitous moments of encounters that allows for you to create that and so that's the one kind of worry i have in us always working virtually at home. You're talking to someone who is a big proponent of it, by the way. If anything, my team, you know, of the employees that I do have pushed me to have them to work at the office. I was like, we don't need to do that. I'm okay with it. They liked it. So I think it, it is a, an individual decision to make. I think if you are a part of a company that can't adapt with times and can't also still create that the the adapting should also be able to um should also include creating community in all the spaces no matter where your employees are so if that means if some half are working remotely and others are in the office you still have to have that type of company culture that can actually do that i just i i just think that this idea which is it also sounds a little bit elitist where malcolm gladwell is talking about well what do you what do you want to do just sit in your at your house in your pajamas is that the type of life you want what first of all what does that have to do with anything what is my outer appearance and what I'm doing while I'm still getting the work done just saying, like, what does yeah, that have lazy. to do with anything yeah. that for me is a problem of how we view capitalism how we view corporate culture and working in these spaces I don't have to be in an office sitting at a desk just to prove that I'm doing the work and also, I think that Malcolm Gladwell's twist on this would have been like, here's if this is a trend, here's how to better do it and be more productive at it and create better companies out of working from home. And as we wrap this up, I wanted to touch on your point that you talked about. Like, yes, he's had the New York Times bestseller stories, but I are the books. But I also wonder, like, just because you've had that, that does not make you a leader and and be all of all this information. Well, and for me, like, I'm like, I mean, yes, it's valuable, yeah. but also, I. 
that doesn't mean they're right every single time. Oh, they can no, get totally. it wrong. Uh, totally. And this I think is, he got it wrong. This is one of those moments, definitely. Yeah. Uh, well, next up, you know, we talked about a death doula. Well, after this, some people are scared of aging, and we all know some people embrace it. Turns out how you think about aging could impact how long and well you live. More next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Let's talk about age discrimination. No matter where you're at in your life, you could be doing it to yourself or others, right? Um, and yes. it can limit a lot of access to work opportunities, housing, even health care, right? And so there's an author, Becca Levy, who has a new book out called Breaking the Age Code, How Your Beliefs About Aging Determine How Long and Well You li- Live. And it basically gives advice on how to look at aging and create more positive age beliefs. I'm surprised that people are still kind of like, there, there's still some like... Um, stigma around aging or the way that we look at age like I, I'm really surprised because I feel like everyone in my group we look at like like Olivia Newton who like unfortunately passed at like what she's like late 70s early 70s yeah. everything that I've heard around that is like wow she has died so young yeah I feel like our thought process around age has shifted in so many ways it's really interested how we kind of think about it personally with ourselves versus how we think about it with well, other Well, what's people. so interesting is when someone passes, it feels young, but then when you reference them, it feels old yeah. <laughs> and they're alive. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I, I, that's why it impacts uh, people's careers and work, right? It's why, you know, a lot of growth happens in someone's career, probably between mostly, you know, their 30s and 50. You know, even I don't know. Uh, it depends on who you are, and then there's yeah. sexism that comes into it, True. et cetera, et cetera. I've always liked, like, um, I remember when I turned 25, I was like, oh my God, 25 is going to be like the best year. I feel like my career is going to change, everything's going to align. And I feel like in some ways, I manifest a lot of things because 25 was a year where a lot of things came to fruition, a lot of things were just like changing, and I think set me on a track. And I feel like even as I get, I'm 29 right now. I look into what 30 is going to be like. And I'm like, I'm actually really excited about turning 30. Like, I've, I've always been excited about kind of getting older and experiencing life and what that really looks like and means. And so for me, like, age has never, I've never looked at age as a negative. Yeah, I th- well, that's good. Uh, but I think there could be subtle things that we do even to each other that, you know... I love calling you up. Exactly. That That thing. could be ageist. That could be considered ageist. You are also... Ageist goes both ways. I know. Ageist goes to the but youngest and ageist goes to the oldest. I think more maybe issues that happen um, as someone gets older like and the limitations that are created. So, the age oppre- oppression uh, Yes, age oppression <laughs> Um, so I, I found it interesting, um, this writer's advice on how to create this like positive age beliefs. She says the ABCs mm. increase awareness. She actually has an image of aging quiz. And she says she, that she suggests starting with one week of what she calls age belief journalism. Jur- not journalism, journaling, sorry. Write down every portrayal of aging that you come across and then uh, see like how it reveals how you think or other people think about aging. Isn't that interesting? What does that mean? Like when you get your first gray hair? 
Well, every portrayal of aging that you come across over the week. So I might say, oh, well, I came across Ryan calling me old. <laughs> I um, watched a show Relatable. where uh, someone lost their job because they were too old. I um, saw us make fun of our boss because yeah, he's too I, old. I, I don't watch know. And like, Just Like That. And, exactly. Like stuff like yeah. that. And what is, how, how, am I internalizing that? Is that impacting my perception and view are of Are you internalizing aging? it? Are you, for, are you kidding? Like, I think that you could be age? really confident, but then there could be subtle things that hit your subconscious definitely i mean i feel like there's more of a confidence that comes with aging i'm really excited for this next uh, time of my life i think the more sad thing for me that i feel is more about my parents and that oh, that's a whole other thing that is anyway so, so no, th- that's other, real. other things to consider that is though really real. i can't is, believe you're just brushing past that that's something i think about yeah, all the time but that, that's part of um aging but also just the realities of life unfortunately yeah. or fortunately um, and then it just says like diversity like think about don't assume every grandpa in your life has the same interests so if you're talking to someone like oh yeah like you know let's let's let people uh, show themselves to us versus assume who they are just because they're old okay as you know we're I mean? just like dragging a mom who wanted to wear her daughter's clothes I mean, we said it was more about boundaries than anything. Um, blame ageism, not aging. And finally, challenge age beliefs. The more we challenge them, the less uh, firm their grasp will be on us. So a lot of things to think about in terms of how we look at ourselves and others. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, we are wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. This one goes to Eli Levy or Levi. Uh, 22-year-old non-binary activist and influencer, you know, who saw makeup was trending on TikTok and thought they would incorporate both into a video. So imagine going on TikTok to look at a makeup tutorial and you're learning something. You know, who said makeup can't change the world? Uh, So they said they could get viewership and acceptance that they were receiving from the beauty community, but also educate them. And research does indicate that social media strategies like this are working. Uh, A new Pew Research poll indicated nearly a quarter of adult social media users in the U.S. have changed their views about a political or social issue because of something they saw on social media. So this uh, person's doing that. That's really cool. I I mean, I love love this. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, this is actually really interesting. And finally, some fresh, like, yes queen news, you know? Yes, and I just love this interesting twist on sharing important news. And we're seeing this, of course, with the trans gamer, not gamer, or uh, trans on-air personality on Twitch, using that platform to share LGBTQ news, and now this. And so... uh, you know, uh, innovation with how this next generation is connecting with people in impactful ways. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, queen. Yes, queen. <laughs> Eli Levi, check out their social media right now and follow them, support what they're up to. That does it for our show today. We are back tomorrow, same time weekdays here on Channel Q, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we will have, co- of course, what's trending this hour. Every hour, we've got the tea report and so much more. If you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. Just go to the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 